We're going to be in 2 Peter today as we continue the book, study this book. And we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. So hear the word of the Lord. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. May God bless the reading and understanding of his word. This is a, a wonderful time of the year. We, school is getting out. We have um, vacation Bible school on the horizon. Last week we had a baptism. We baptized, I think, 25, 24, 25. Uh, the last two to be baptized were a young man and a young woman who had been dating. And we were told ahead of time what was going to happen. So after they were baptized, we all gathered around them. And he gave his testimony of his faith in Christ, which was wonderful. Now the Lord had changed his life. And he talked about meeting a wonderful woman. And so he knelt there on the beach and pulled out a ring and asked her to get married. And she said no. No. She said, yes, it really was cool. It was a lot of fun, and uh, it, was, it was a joy. So, so when you look at this book and you think about remembrance and memories, the purpose of 2 Peter in part was to stir up the church by way of remembrance. Chapter 3, verse 1 says this. So this is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved, in both of them. I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. So stir you up to remember. He said earlier in chapter 1, verse 12, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth. I think it is right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder so that in the future you may recall these things. And in chapter 1, he says that some people have become nearsighted and blind regarding who Christ is in their life. They have forgotten they've been cleansed from their sins. And so he said earlier, says, don't overlook this one thing, that God is above time and God is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance, and that judgment will fall. He says, remember, don't, don't overlook that. So overlook is a synonym for remember. Don't forget. Don't overlook. And I, I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to forget. In 2008, there's a man at MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, who is a professor of cognitive neuroscience, who gave an elaborate experiment. He gathered some subjects, and he showed them 3,000 pictures of common objects, including backpacks and remote controls and toasters. And they were presented one at a time over a, new, a few minutes. At the end of viewing these photographs, the researchers tested the subject's memory for each object by showing them 
two pictures and said, which one did we show you previously? And of the 1,000 objects they were shown, there was a retention rate of 90%. I read that and thought, you got to be kidding me. I'd be in the 10 percentile, got to be honest with you. I, I, I just forget stuff. And, and, and you think about this, maybe they were MIT students, maybe that's why it was 90%, you know. But anyway, if you, you, you think about why do people overlook? Well, they overlook because in this context, you are surrounded by false teachers who go around saying, where is this God? Life is going on and on. We're born, we live, we exist, we die. We're born, we live, we exist, we die. It goes on and on and on. Where is God? And then when they mock the character of God and the reality of God, they said, and where's the judgment? Judgment's not going to happen. And so Peter is writing to the church saying, don't overlook this. God is God. He's above time. He's patient. He doesn't want you to perish, but judgment will fall. Know these things. Understand these things. Embrace that. And, and they're surrounded by that, but they're surrounded by a culture that didn't give much credence to what they believed. There were multiple gods, multiple ways of worship, and then they were surrounded by the rapid pace of life. And I thought about that. It's not much different than us. The character of God is mocked. People worship anything and everything in our culture, from what they make to what their hands make, to what they can dream about, to their dream vacations. And, and then they, because of the pace of life, we just forget. So I, I say to you this morning, church, do not overlook. Do not forget. Remember this one fact. God is God. He's patient. Not wanting anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And there will be a day when judgment falls. And then, then he says this, what, what, what kind of people, in light of all these things, what kind of people should we be? And he says we should be people who live holy and godly lives. The, holiness means to be set apart for the purposes of God. It means to, be, to have a, a God-intoxicated, God-glorified worldview that wants to worship the Lord in everything we do. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, he says this, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you. At the revelation of Christ, do not be conformed to your former way of living that you lived in your ignorance before you knew the gospel. So you step back and say, what does, what does a holy person do? Well, well they, they, they prepare their minds for action. They think. They live soberly. They think about eternity and the eternal realities about them. They're, they're people who set their affection on the reality of heaven to be given to us. And, and then they're, they're no longer conformed to the former lusts that were theirs in their ignorance. That's what a holy person looks like. They think soberly. They live with purpose. They live with passion. They live as set-apart people. And then he says in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, he says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, he's given us his very great and precious promises, so that by them you may participate in the divine nature. So, so I say a holy person is someone who takes the promises of God and thinks about them and understands that as you think and govern your mind around the promises of God, you're, you're conformed to be like Jesus. Where we're set apart people to live 
and to exist and to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And then he says this in the same chapter. He says, because of these glorious things, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to your goodness add knowledge and to knowledge add self-control and to self-control add perseverance and to perseverance add godliness and then brotherly kindness and love. So I'll say, what does a, what does a, a, a holy, godly person look like? It's a person who's adding to their faith energy or action. And, and knowledge and, and self-control and they persevere. They're in there for the long haul and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. That's what it looks like. So I just want to, this is a very basic, simple sermon. And as I look at this, I step back, I ask this question to you, to myself. What motivates us to live holy and godly lives? Number one, get this. I pant for the things of God. I pant to be set apart for his purposes. When I realize that God's glorification and my happiness are linked, that God's worship and my well-being are linked, that God's honoring and my fulfillment are linked, and when I get hold of that and think about it, that God is good, and he does good, and he's glorious, and he's my Abba Father, and he is my Savior, and he is the anointing spirit who elevates the name of Jesus and opens the word of God. When I get hold of that, then watch out. He says here in, in chapter 1, uh, verse 4 of 1 Peter, he says that we received an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. He says later in the same chapter, he says, you're not redeemed from the empty way of life or the futile way of life received from your ancestors, not with gold and silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. And then he says in chapter 1 of 2 Peter, he says, you know, he's granted us his great, great and precious promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature and escape the, the corruption of the world caused by evil desire, sinful desire. See, see, God has given us himself, given us the Holy Spirit, given us the Word of God so that you and I as Christ followers can escape the corruption of the world, the disease of the world, the atrophy of hopes and dreams of the world that just beats you down. Now, you know you're getting old. You know you're getting old. We've been to two weddings recently, Sarah and I have where we won the longest married dance. Yes. They have a dance. Everybody's married, gets out there and has been married six hours or less leave and six months or less leave and one year, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years. And, and you know, all the old folks leave after the wedding. So it's just us young guys hanging out. And so everybody's married 35 years leave. We married 37 years next month. And we've worn it twice now. And it's very discouraging. It is. But let me tell you, when I go to a wedding and I see broken families and third wife and third husband and here and there and this and that, I, 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 don't, I don't see the fulfillment of, of, of sensual enjoyment. I see brokenness. I see pain. I see hurt. And it breaks my heart. And I don't want you to go there. So when I realize that the glory of God and my welfare are linked, that God has saved his people from the corruption of the world caused by evil desires, 
There's fulfillment and joy and laughter and singing and happiness in Christ. I want that for you. There's a quote in the bulletin from J.C. Rowling, and he says, basically, he says that, that the worship of God is glorious. It's just one sentence. He said, no, that's T.S. Eliot. J.C. Ryle. I can't see here. Right here. It comes up. He says, God, God has so wisely ordered it that our well-being and our well-doing are linked together. The Anglican from the 1800s, J.C. Ryle. And I, I think he's right. So that's number, number two is because of who Christ is, I'm not paralyzed with fear, but I live with expectation. I'm not paralyzed with fear. I don't fear being cast out. I'm a child of God. I don't fear that. I, I, I am adopted in the family of God. Adoption. We saw that this morning. The beauty of adoption. But theologically, adoption is the apex or the high part of God's work in our life. He brings in his people to himself. And he says in the first two verses of this book we've been studying, he says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Christ Jesus, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. I go, wow. This young church filled with young believers getting ready to go into incredible persecution, written in 64 to 68 AD. He says that the faith you have received puts you on an equal standing with the apostles. You're holy in the Lord. And then he says, grace and peace be multiplied or, or poured out into your life. There's no, there's no paralyzed, there's, there's no fear, there's, there's expectation. And then he says, verse 11, if you do these things, you will receive a, a, a glorious or a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom. And I, I just say to you, churches, you think about what Christ has done for us and what is ahead for us, of us in heaven. It frees us. You're not paralyzed. You live with expectation. And I, I just say to you, Brothers and sisters, be faithful unto the Lord in your calling. We're going to be surprised when we get to heaven. And our Christian celebrity subculture, this part of endemic to our culture, you know, some, some of the people that we elevate and think are great, and they're going to, you know, they trust in the Lord, but uh, there, there are people around you this morning that you just give a passing hello to and and, and yet they live sacrificially, they live with joy, they live with a servant spirit, and you don't realize it, but in God's army, they are four-star generals. And if you saw the glory that would be visited upon them, you would be tempted to worship them. We're going to be surprised in heaven. I, I just say to you, live faithfully. Live faithfully. The third, the third point is this, that, that the new heavens and the new earth are coming. He says here in verse 13, he says that, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Um, new heaven, new earth. Um, we should be standing on tiptoe with expectation for the glory that will be revealed. There's two quotes uh, in the bulletin from C.S. Lewis, one is 
regarding this issue from a book he wrote on prayer. They're both very good quotes. And the other is from his last book in the Chronicles of Narnia, The Last Battle, when the new heavens and new earth are revealed to the children who've gone through the six books. But first of all, he says that the, the, the hills and the valleys of heaven will be to those you now experience not as a copy to an original nor as a substitute to the genuine article, but as the flower to the root or as the diamond to the coal. In other words, you, you think of the most beautiful scene you've seen this week, and, and that is a, a foreshadow, a dim foreshadow of, of what's coming. You multiply that times 10,000 as far as beauty. And then this, let me just read this. The last battle, the new heavens, new earth have been re- revealed. It says, when Aslan, who represents Christ, said you could never go back to Narnia, which is the magic kingdom. He meant that Narnia you were thinking of, but, but that was not the real Narnia. That had a beginning and it had an end. It was only a shadow or a copy of the real Narnia, which has always been here and always will be here, just as our own world, England and all, is only a shadow or a copy of something in Aslan's real world. See, it's just magnified. You need not mourn over Narnia, little girl, Lucy. All of the old Narnia that mattered, all the dear creatures have been drawn into the real Narnia through the door. And of course, it is different, as different as a real thing is from a shadow, as a waking life is from a dream. Expectation. So so I I think of um, a beautiful mountain range. This is the Himalayas. To, to, to imagine the beauty of heaven, you multiply that times 1,000. Or I think of, in our own city, the angel oak. I love oak trees. There's a beautiful oak tree right out this door. It's just beautiful. And yet, the, the, you multiply, the oaks in heaven will be that times, times 1,000. So, so you see, I, I'm saying... Live with expectation. And here's what I believe. I believe our joy is short-circuited because we don't think about heaven more often. I, I do. I think our joy is short-circuited. Give an example. Made-up story, partly. So um, I went to the dentist this week. And I, the dentist I go to is a godly man. He's kind. He has a wonderful staff. They're, they receive me well. They always... They're, they're nice. I just don't like to go to the dentist. I just, I just don't. I mean, first of all, you have to lie. Mr. Brown, have you been flossing? <laughs> oh, yes, yes, no. Um, and then when you leave, they give you a goodie bag with a toothbrush and toothpaste and dental floss, which I, I don't use, but that's the floss. I use a toothbrush. So, so you, you sit there, and, and they're very nice, but it's just, it's just open your mouth for an hour and getting clean. Then they ask you questions. You try, have you ever tried you try to talk with your mouth wide open all the time? So, I mean, so I think dentist, dentistry is a very high calling. My granddad was a dentist. I love dentists. But when my wife says, now remember, next month at 10 o'clock in the morning on the 3rd, uh, you have a dentist appointment. I don't circle it and put stars around it and hearts and rainbows and little puppies. I, I just, I saw something like four or two, okay? Conversely, this is make-believe. Uh, let's make-believe that you grew up and you're, Mom had one sibling who was never married, and everybody in the family has died except your, your Aunt Louise. And Aunt Louise is from Arkansas and uh, from, from Bentonville. That's where she grew up. And Aunt Louise became your mama. 
and she came for all the holidays. She came for your children's events, and uh, she would call you occasionally, say, "Listen, in three months, I'm going to take you and the kids and your husband on a on a cruise. We're going to go to Alaska, or can you go on the Reformation tour with me to Germany?" And your husband kept looking at you and saying, "Where, where, does, where does Aunt Louise get her money? I mean, she she lives comfortably, but she, how can she do this?" I, you say, "Aunt Louise, you can't do this." Said, "No, I want to do this," and so. And Aunt Louise has failing health. And you say, we have our jobs here in Charleston. Would you mind moving to Charleston and, and, and living in a retirement place? And let us nurture you. And, and, and she does. And she becomes more of a part of your home, more a part of your family. And, and so her health begins to decline. And she calls you in. And she says, you know, I want to tell you this before I, I want to give you a forewarning. She said, I, um, when I die, you're going to be the major recipient of the majority of my estate. I said, well, Aunt Louise, thank you, but you can't have much. She said, no. She said, you know, I grew up in Bentonville. Yeah. Well, I was a young woman in 1962, and I had a good friend named Sam. And he started a company, and I bought 2% interest in his company. It's called Walmart. And I've never cashed in that stock, just lit off the dividends, and you're going to have the majority of that stock portfolio when I die. You go, well, I get outside and start talking. Says, "Wow, you know," and she dies. And after the funeral, the, the attorney says, "You know, in three weeks we're going to have a reading of the will, and which you're the, you're going to have the, get the lion's share off her will." And you know, you get that date, ten o'clock in the morning. You put stars around it, and hearts, and rainbows, and horses, and you set your alarm, and you call your friends, and you say, "Remind me not to be late." And you get there and you walk out a multi, multi, multi millionaire. You lived in expectation. Let me just continue the story, which has nothing to do with it, but just, just a dream. And so you leave the attorney's office and you call the agape toss, which is Greek for the beloved one. And so you call the beloved one and I answer the phone. <laughs> and you say, Pastor Brown, I've coming to an inheritance. I've talked to my CPA and you know that Lottie Moon World Christmas offering of $400,000, $500,000 we shoot for every year? I want to underwrite that for the next 30 years. And you know that campus outreach ministry? You want to go to three campuses in the next five years to take 10 staff. Tell Matt to build the staff. I want to underwrite campus outreach for the next 20 years. And you know that debt service we talk about retiring? Can I take care of that? Said, yes. What I'm saying is, when you think about the joy of heaven, church, you live with expectation. And so, so when you have a, a joy here, you, you, you say, this is a foretaste of glory. Last Sunday night, we went to a 60th birthday party. It was fun and goofy and laughter-filled, and we sang hymns. And I left saying to Sarah, isn't it great to be part of the body of Christ and to grow old with people that love Jesus? Went to a wedding last night. Fun, laughter, wonderful, godly family. I thought, man, this is a foretaste of the glory that will be ours. So, so, so put a big H on your calendar and think every day of the glories of heaven and also think about the torments of hell. It will make you think correctly. And I do believe my joy is short-circuited when I don't stop and think about the glory that is coming. I don't know how people grow old without Jesus and if they grow old without Jesus, how they do not fall into bitterness and despair and cynicism. Because your body falls apart. 
Relationships hurt. We're in a fallen world. It's hard. But you look at each other and say, you know, my body's falling apart. Well, one day, resurrection bodies. Yes, I've got heart disease, but one day, no heart disease, no cancer, no weeping, glorious physical. See, if you, if you think heaven is floating about on a cloud, playing harps, singing worship songs, that doesn't do it for me. That's part of it. But, but, but if you think heaven is, is beauty beyond imagination, relationships that are richer beyond any description, projects that are ongoing, worship, glory, laughter, singing, feasting. You read the Bible, it's all about eating. Really. And it's good. And my desire is short-circuited when I'm tied only to today. And tied only to what I can do physically today. Or what I can taste today. I should receive every gift. Says, Lord, this is so good, man. If, if it's good enough, if it's this beautiful here, what will glory be like? And Peter says that. Peter says to this church going to persecution, new heavens, new earth. New heavens, new earth. And he says, fourthly, he says, the text says there should be a, a, a weighty glory to what we're about. Now, this is a passage. I've read this many times through the years. I've thought about it. I've studied it. I don't know what it means. He, he says this. This just this blows my mind. We should live lives of holiness and godliness. Verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. I, 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 don't, I don't get this. The Lord is king. He knows the time and the hour of his return. He has set the day in place. I believe that. And yet, it says here that if I live, we live, God's people live with holiness and godliness, we will in some way hasten the day of Jesus. How does my response, my obedience, and the kingly rule of the living God fit together? I do not know. The same concept is used in Acts chapter 3 where there's a man that's been, been lame from birth, healed by Peter and John shortly after Pentecost. This man is healed. His atrophied limbs become strong. He's standing up. And people are amazed, obviously. And they gather around Peter and John, and Peter says, listen, we didn't do this by our might. We did this by the might and the power of Jesus, who you crucified, who resurrected and ascended. That's how we did it. And then he says this, verse 19, repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out, and the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, whom Heaven must receive until the time for the restoration of all things about which God has already spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets. And he says, you know, repent so that God will restore us and bring the new heavens and the new earth. So, so my repentance hastens the day of the Lord. We know from the Bible that there are going to be men and women from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation around the throne of grace. So every people group in the world will have people who know Jesus who are praising him at the throne of grace. Therefore, we send out men and women to the ends of the earth to preach Jesus to people who've never heard and to build churches and cultures we've 
Never had churches in. Because that will hasten the day of the Lord. It, 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 it blows my mind. And let me say it again, though. I don't know how people, without the hope of heaven and the hope of eternity, live without growing despairing. This is a quote by T.S. Eliot, the famous British playwright poet who was a believer. This is what T.S. Eliot said. I'd rather walk as I do in daily terror of eternity, then feel that this was, the, was only a children's game in which all the contestants would get equally worthless prizes in the end. Now think about that. I'd rather walk, he says, in terror, that I walk before a God to whom I must give an account. We don't walk in terror because... He sees us through the reality of Jesus, but he said, I'd rather live with stark terror than to live as if everything is the impersonal plus time plus chance. The earth has no pattern. Everything is a mistake. Therefore, love one another. It just doesn't work. You're descended from nothingness. Therefore, embrace the beauty around you. It doesn't work. You're made in the image of God. You're the crowning work of his creation. Gender is part of the goodness of God's creation. Therefore, embrace the day. Embrace those around you. That works. Because all people are worthy of respect and Christian love. See, instead of cynical despair, we think of Matthew 25, where Jesus looks at people in the day of judgment, and he says, come and inherit the kingdom of God, because I was hungry, and you fed me. I was without clothes, and you clothed me. I was in prison, and you visited me. I was in the hospital, and you cared for me. And that, People want to throw their hands and say, Lord, when in the world did we see you hungry? When in the world did we see you without clothes? When did we see you in the hospital for heaven's sake or in prison? And he says, if you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you do it to me. And so that screams out, your life counts. Wall Street Journal had an article this week about a man named Vin Scully. Vin Scully has been the voice of the Los Angeles Dodgers for 67 years. He was the voice of the Dodgers when they were the Brooklyn Dodgers, for heaven's sake. There's a wonderful article written about him in the Wall Street Journal by a good writer, a young man named Jason Gay. And before I read it, Vin Scully is, is no stranger to pain and brokenness. His first wife died of cancer when he was 35, 36, and he had a son who was killed in a helicopter crash. He was just fighting a forest fire, so he's known pain. But this article celebrates 67 years of the man named Vin Scully, and it says this, Vin Scully is a human sunbeam. Isn't that a great comment? A human sunbeam. And it says, it was another cloudless day in this Southern Californian can canyon, another day for baseball at its idyllic mid-century ballpark here in Los Angeles. I asked Vin Scully, the voice of the Dodgers, if he felt lucky to do what he does. And this is what he said, oh, no, 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 not lucky. He said firmly, lucky is too cheap a word. I feel blessed. I truly believe that God has given me these gifts. He gave it to me at a young age and he's allowed me to keep it all these years. Can you believe that? Now, that's a gift. I say this because I believe it. I should spend more time on my knees thanking the Lord than I do. I thought, what a comment. And I thought, everybody here is gifted. 
by God. With time, and money, and energy. Everybody here is gifted. And I thought, boy, at the end of my days, Vince Cullen, he's 88. He said, I just kind of, I've lost a step the last two years, he said. He said, at the end of my days, as I, go, I hope somebody can refer to me as a human sunbeam. <laughs> they great. Life is a gift. Your life counts. You know, in light of all this, how do we live? We live as holy, godly people set apart for the purposes of God. We live with expectation of the new heavens and the new earth. We, we, we run from people that say life is a contentless nothingness, and we embrace the day as a gift from God. God forbid that we look at this Memorial Day weekend as another plodding, unrelenting, unnecessary weekend. This is a weekend filled with potential and joy and laughter and purpose as we yoke ourselves under the good news of the one whose name is Jesus. And you know, one greater than Aunt Louise in my story has given us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away. And the one who gave it for us, died for our sins, was buried, but he's not in the grave. He's risen. He's poured out his Holy Spirit, and he has given us himself. We have every reason to rejoice. So rejoice, church. Be glad. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day and for the tender mercies of the gospel. Thank you that uh, we can live with, on tiptoes with expectation because glory is to be given to your people as they trust in Jesus. Thank you that that a new heaven and new earth are coming. It's coming, and, and it's going to be glorious, and we have purpose, and we have dignity, and we will have an eternity uh, of, of incredible joy and purpose and laughter and worship and celebration. So just thank you for that. And, and Lord, do not let us short-circuit, as your people, our joy by not thinking of heaven. And I, I pray for those who are here today who do not know you, uh, that, Lord, you'd open their eyes to see the beauty of the gospel of Jesus, that while they can never do for themselves, you did for them on the cross when you took our sins in your body, fulfilling the Old Testament sacrificial system, and through one act, opening the gates of paradise to all who would trust you. What a simple, beautiful message. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much.